The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the twelve, A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, and even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Gospel of the Lord. Sixteen years ago today, I was in labor with my firstborn son. As most mothers are, I was afraid. I was afraid of the pain, of the possibility that something might go wrong of whether or not I was even capable of being a mother. Over and over, the nurses assured me, don't be afraid. One particular labor nurse named Emily, however, was an exception. Emily encouraged me to squeeze her hand during each contraction. With each wave of pain, she said, look into my eyes. Know that this will pass and I am here. Hours went by, and still she stayed by my side. Feel the pain, she said. Feel the fear. It means that something important is happening to you. Nothing can be born without pain and fear, she said. She held my hand when Christian was born. He entered the world, as most babies do, with shrieking lungs and blinking eyes. He was swaddled placed in my arms, and after so many hours of labor, we both fell asleep. I awoke, and Emily was gone. Shifts had changed. She exists somewhere out there in the world, and I think of her often, always with affection and gratitude, reflecting on this stranger who ushered my firstborn child into the world, who locked eyes with me when I was most afraid 
who gave me permission to feel what I felt, who stayed by my side, who told me nothing can be born without pain and fear. Three times in today's gospel, Jesus says, do not be afraid, but truthfully, nothing makes me more afraid than when someone tells me not to be afraid. When someone says, don't be afraid, it means that there's something to be afraid of. Otherwise, there's no reason to say it. I appreciate Jesus' words, and I respect them, and I often wish that I was not afraid of certain things or situations, but if I'm honest and if you're honest, I think we can admit that we are all quite acquainted with fear, certainly these days when fear seems to lurk around every corner. We are afraid of a pandemic that continues to tighten its grip on our planet. We are afraid of a weak economy that further oppresses the already vulnerable. We are afraid for people of color who live in constant fear, whose lives are marked by systemic injustice, who are raising fist and voice in this country and around the world, calling for changes in structures that perpetuate racial injustice. We are afraid of our leadership, or more specifically, our lack of leadership, and this pervasive climate of every man and woman for themselves, akin to some savage reality show like Lord of the Flies or Hunger Games. My middle son says he's tired of people calling these unprecedented times because we've seen pandemics and civil discord before. He calls these unprecedented times. My students and sons are afraid for the future of their education and safety if and when school reconvenes. Indeed, every move one makes these days is framed by fear of what will happen if I get sick, or what will happen if I get someone else sick, or what will happen if I speak up, don't speak up, do something, don't do something. In the face of this ubiquitous fear, Three times Jesus says, don't be afraid, and yet, and yet, I remain afraid. And maybe you do too. Being afraid makes us vulnerable when we might knowingly or unknowingly swap out our faith in Jesus and our identity as children of God for a generic U.S. identity that is part patriotism, part consumerism, part violence, part affluence, civil religion in the place of Christian faith. If we have no one to lock eyes with, fear threatens to consume us. If we root ourselves, however, in faith in Jesus Christ, no matter how feeble or fragile that faith might be, it is possible to be afraid without being consumed by it. Honestly, this is a very difficult text for Father's Day when Jesus says that he's come not to bring peace but a sword, and that father will be set against son and mother against daughter, and that anyone who places family above him is not worthy of him. In fact, even as I preach this sermon, I am aware of several of my students who are afraid. This weekend, many traveling home, many for the first time in months to wish their fathers a happy Father's Day, but also to have a difficult and honest conversation with mom and dad that black lives matter, that in some cases the truths with which they were raised are not in fact truth, but rather untruth, that some people are better than others, that some people are more deserving than others, that some people are more worthy than others. And there it is, that thing that lies at the heart of this gospel, the question of worth and worthiness. 
This hits a nerve with me, and I'm sure with many of you, this question of worthiness. We understand that Matthew is writing to a largely Jewish community and is therefore interested in preserving some of the structures that exist in which people live. Students cannot be greater than their teachers. Slaves cannot be greater than their masters. That somehow we all must still live together within these structures in order for order to exist and yet. I was also told as a woman that I could never be ordained, that there is a limit to how far I can go that that was a structure I had to live within. It seems students and slaves here are told there is a limit how far they can go. And that certainly is not congruent with the Jesus, for example, in the Gospel of Mark, who is infuriated by injustice and flips over tables in the temple and calls authorities unsavory names. Matthew, however, seems to be interested in a more orderly revolution that unfolds logically and systematically. But sometimes things don't work that way. Sometimes things are messier than Matthew or you or I would like. Sometimes revolutions or insurrections or uprisings or reformations are bloody and violent, or at the very least, uncomfortable. So many people have recently said, I've heard, I don't mind these protests as long as they're not angry or violent, as long as they don't vandalize, and as long as there's no graffiti. But is it right to tell angry people how to rise up, how to righteously rebel, but at the same time play nice, to abide by the rules implemented by the very people who have oppressed them? I don't know the smoldering anger of 400 years of oppression I don't know the pervasive fear for my life simply based on the color of my skin. I know, though, growing up as a female interested in ministry, I had my hand and mouth slapped enough to have a taste of that smoldering anger that leaves scars that will never heal. So I feel myself pushing back against Matthew's Jesus, who seems to allow for resistance, a resistance that only goes so far. However, interestingly, in this gospel, Jesus seems to pick up momentum as he goes, assuring the crowds that every human life is worth more than sparrows, that the hairs on each of your heads are counted by a God who knows you and loves you. Jesus goes on to say that he comes to bring a sword and not peace, that sometimes families need to be divided when it comes to truth, that sometimes you have to be willing to kick a person out of your life Sometimes families are broken by speaking truth to power and by speaking the truth to dysfunctional family systems and speaking truth to racist or misogynistic structures even within our own families. Is this comfortable? No. Is this real? Yes. Families and churches are not called to be the happiest of places, but instead the most honest of places. It's a scary thing to call out any system that oppresses others. And sometimes this costs us relationships, even relationships within our own families. This is something to be afraid of. But human life is worth that cost. These days, especially since the 2016 election, we see this absolutely. Most of our families have in some way been affected or even divided by our elected leadership and how this leadership flexes its muscle 
to instigate, oppress, and perpetuate prejudices that simmer just below the surface in many of our communities and families. And yet, this week, what two huge milestones this week that give hope? With the Supreme Court of the United States ruling that the civil rights law from 1964 protects LGBTQIA workers, and also the ruling that rejects Trump's repeal of the DACA program. These are perfect examples of what Jesus is talking about today, places where faith and the world intersect. But Iowa nice doesn't mean that we can ignore these systems where others are considered unworthy based on their sexual orientation or citizenship or skin color. The elephant in the family room, then, isn't politics or even party affiliation. It's fundamentally how human beings are treated regarding immigration or color of skin or sexual orientation or gender identity or whatever. It's that we are called to not be afraid to make the claim that all lives are worthy of justice, that all lives are worthy of Jesus. And so it seems that we are living out this gospel, according to Matthew, in very real and profound ways in 2020. Perhaps this gospel resonates today even more deeply than when it last came around in our lectionary back in 2017, because today's world pushes people of faith, pushes us to confess and believe that God knows and counts the hairs on every human head, black hair, brown hair, blonde hair, gray hair, or no hair, which would make it easy to count, and that God values every human life more than two sparrows. If pushed even further, we see that sometimes the best way to love someone then is at a distance, even as my extended family remains resolutely divided over female ordination and most issues of social justice. The truth is difficult to swallow that Jesus is right, that often our families are divided in his name, depending on whether Jesus is used as a trophy for civil religion or professed as son of God. This is scary stuff, this gospel reading. And yet there is profound grace here. There's always grace. There is grace in the reality that after a devastating miscarriage, I had a son and then two more, and that through them and in them I see the face of God. And maybe that means I love them more than God. And in my moments of weakest faith, I'm sure I do. And yet I also know that Paul exhorts us to love the other whose face we can see, and in so doing we love the God whose face we cannot see. So I am unworthy, and you are too regardless of how we try to live out our lives of faith and our families. But if this Father's Day brings you joy, if your Father has raised you in unconditional love, and if you are a father and raise your children in unconditional love, we rejoice with you. But if this day is difficult for you, if you struggle with the relationship with your father or with your children, or if you grieve this day, the death of your father, or the death of a child. There's room for you in this gospel as well. And that grace rains down on your head as well, on all heads, with each hair counted. 
If you are afraid of this world and its dramatic changes, afraid that they are too great or not great enough, know that your life is valued, that you are worthy of love, that you are loved. If you have shattered the structures and ceilings that constrain you and you find yourself abandoned by your family, welcome to your new family in Christ. Also dysfunctional, but somehow striving to be better. In the end, the collective confession is that we are all unworthy, regardless of where we stand on issues of pandemic or systemic prejudice or family systems. The confession is one that I make standing right next to my sworn enemy and you, yours. Together we confess sin, and together we hear words of power from Jesus, words that sometimes break things apart. But know this. Every night as you sleep, your creator runs fingers through your hair and knows every hair on your head. Know that your creator adores the birds of the air, and you more so. Know that your worthiness does not determine or affect in any way the unconditional love that God has for you, even in these days when we are so afraid of so very many things. And know that that same love extends to the ones you and I despise most, whether in our government or in our families. Collective confession, collective absolution, that's what grace means. May you encounter a friend, a spouse, a child, or even a stranger whose visible face reveals to you the invisible face of God. In your darkest hour, may you feel hands of flesh grasping yours. When you are most afraid, may you lock eyes with another person, and may you hear a voice saying to you, feel this pain and this fear, and let it wash over you, but have courage. It will pass. Without pain and fear, nothing can be born. There is pain and fear right now. We know this. We feel it. We see it, we taste it, we breathe it. If there is pain and fear, then it must be that God is birthing something new. May this new thing come to all, and may it come quickly. Amen.